In the secular world, Christmas Day is a huge letdown. <laughs> but in our beautiful Catholic traditions, we're just getting started having fun. Today, it is a great joy to have best-selling author Kendra Tierney here to tell us about celebrating the Christmas octave and epiphany. <laughs> Don't miss this. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. Kendra Tierney is here today with me, and I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host. We're going to share some delightful Catholic traditions for celebrating the Christmas octave and epiphany. Kendra Tierney lives in an it's a wonderful lifestyle fixer-upper in the wilds of unincorporated Los Angeles County with her husband, their 10 kids, aged 1 to 18, and some chickens. Kendra is a retired pilot and flight instructor who is putting her English degree to use as a homeschool mom and writer about all things Catholic. Her passion is liturgical living, what began quietly in their home with their children as a way to introduce the lives of the saints and the beautiful history and tradition of our Catholic faith now reaches hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. Through her blog, CatholicAllYear.com, spelled just the way it sounds, social media accounts, YouTube videos, and many books, including the Catholic All Year Compendium, Liturgical Living for Real Life, she shares how obscure Catholic traditions have helped the Tierneys form a strong family culture and Catholic identity and have fun doing it. <laughs> Welcome to the program, Kendra. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, yeah, it's great. Just so great to meet you. And it was so much fun reading through some of your book. I'm just touched by the naturalness. You know, uh, we learn all kinds of different history and how-tos and things that we do throughout our lives. But when you see the history and the how-tos of the Catholic faith, faith, oh my goodness, the possibilities are just so delightful. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that has been such a, a big part of it that, that the, the liturgical living in the home has been a, a really fun and natural way to, to learn all of these important truths and lives of the saints and all these things that we want. We want to know more about ourselves. We want our kids to know, but we don't want to like sit everyone down for a catechism lesson. Uh, but, you know, incorporating the church calendar, incorporating these feast days into our home has meant we just do that around the dinner table and it's fun and, and, and educational and entertaining all together. Yeah. And, and that naturalness too, I think is really important because we're so electronically overloaded and don't get enough face time with each other. And this foundation that you've built for your children helped others to build with theirs. It's like, um, I think it's Proverbs 22, 6 that says, if you teach them the way that they should go, they, when they are old, they will not depart from it. Well, the culture sometimes grabs our kids' attention for a while when they're young adults, right? But when they're old, they will not depart from these beautiful grounding traditions. So uh, start us off, you know, we've been hearing Christmas music in the stores for too long and, and, <laughs> and we get kind of tired of it but by Christmas Day. How many days of Christmas are there? Yeah, so there, <laughs> that's, sort of, <laughs> that's sort of a more challenging question than you'd think. So, <laughs> you know, obviously the secular culture thinks that there's one. Um, the, the song says that there's 12 days of Christmas 
we talk about the octave uh, of Christmas in, um, you know, on the more sort of traditional calendar. Um, but if you look now, it actually really varies depending on the year because it goes from the, the actual Christmas season goes from uh, from Christmas Day through the baptism of the Lord, which is usually uh, December. Uh, it's, it's the December, it's January 10th this year. Oh, um, interesting. So yeah, that's how long the Christmas season goes. But, you know, in our home, we find that that, that window of Christmas day to epiphany, whether you want to celebrate that on January 6th or on the, um, Sunday that it's, that it's, uh, usually celebrated in the mass, you know, just one of the other of those days, we really focus on celebrating Christmas, listening to Christmas carols, uh, watching Christmas movies, eating Christmas treats, we really try to focus on it in in that period, in the, the you know, that that 12 days of Christmas. And that's something that's been, you know, it's a really fun tradition to have, in, in, you know, in our house. So your kids are not burned out by the end of Christmas Day, like it's all over. You're just getting started. So- that's right. That's, that's, because, <laughs> that's because we did Advent uh, as a period of waiting. And so if you want to be able to Christmas for 12 days, you really, you, you have to, you have to take it slow at the beginning. You can't rush in right after Thanksgiving. I feel like um, we need to put you out. Don't have any left in the tank. <laughs> right, exactly. I want to create some merch now. If you want a Christmas, you have to Advent. Right. <laughs> Tote <True>. bags, t-shirts, <laughs> cups. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell us about your Christmas season. What does that look like? The 12 days of Christmas or however you slice and dice it with your, your family. Yeah. So we try, like we said, to really observe Advent as this period of, of preparation of waiting and preparation. So it's not as if we eschew everything, you know, with a holiday spirit during Advent, um, but we do try to uh, have it be a season where we where we build towards something. So we decorate slowly over the course of Advent and we wait for, um, you know, the biggest decorations until the end. So we wait on the, uh, to put up our Christmas tree until Christmas Eve. We listen to Advent carols during Advent. And then we switched to Christmas carols during Christmas because, you know, not, I didn't, I didn't know this. I'm not really a very musical person. Um, but, uh, but so I didn't realize that it's completely different, uh, you know, canon of music for Advent versus for Christmas. And those carols tend to get mashed up on, you know, celebrity Christmas albums, <laughs> but um <laughs> But there really are different songs for Advent than for Christmas. And so we listen to Advent music during Advent, and then we switch to Christmas. And uh, there are, you can find specific playlists on Spotify if, you, um, if you're into that. And so then once Christmas comes, we really, uh, we focus on, on eating our Christmas cookies and our Christmas treats and stuff, some of which we baked during Advent as a, as a family um, activity. And you know, so that we'll have gifts that we can give to other people and things. But, but we put them, I put them in the freezer and we wait um, so that we're having all of our Christmas treats, a different one on each of the 12 days of Christmas. And we watch a different Christmas movie every night for the 12 days of Christmas with our family. So my kids really look forward to, you know, to that, that season, that period of time, because we really do focus on it as fun and family, you know, togetherness activities. 
just sounds like it makes it so simple too. If the cookies are frozen and you have your favorite family movies, that's not hard to do. It, it really isn't. It really isn't. And, um, and uh, you know, that we, we add new movies here and there. Sometimes we'll skip one in one year, but it's pretty much said, and the kids want to watch the same movies again. Um, and they want to eat the same cookies and, um, and, and it really is fun. And I think that it creates this, uh, you know, Catholic identity and a strong family culture. So even if everybody else is doing Christmas during Advent and nothing during Christmas, that's not as big a deal if your kids know that, you know, my kids know that we do things the tyranny way. So it's it's not a big problem for them if we do things differently than other people because they're kind of used to that. And that seems to me like it's going to be a really important life skill for them, uh, you know, going forward to not feel like you have to be doing things that everybody else is doing that you can, you know, have your own, um, your own traditions and your own way of doing things that you think is right. That is so awesome. Step us into what decorating and gift giving looks like, you know, that transition from Advent into Christmas. What does it look like in your home? So, you know, over the course of Advent, we've been trying to make homemade decorations. We've been trying, we've been adding different pieces to our, um, to our sort of bigger family nativity set. We, we bring things out every Sunday to sort of build the, the um, nativity scene over the weeks. You know, we make uh, just, we'll do like family crafts, like family, uh, like cutting out um, snowflakes or making reaps out of just uh, evergreen branches from the yard and uh, you know things like that, that that you can read about in old in old books about uh, um, books like uh, the children noisy village or the 24 days before Christmas um, there's you know old uh, children's literature that really gives you this window into how Advent used to be celebrated so it's this feels like preparation feels like building to something and then uh, on Christmas Eve, we hang our stockings, we put up the Christmas tree, we put baby Jesus into the manger in the uh, in the nativity scene, and then it finally is Christmas. We sing Away in a Manger and Silent Night on Christmas Eve, and then, you know, it, it really feels like that season has, has officially started. And then there's a few things that really sort of define Christmas for us, which is the Christmas treats and the Christmas movies, but also... Uh, instead of doing like an elf on the shelf kind of thing during December, we have uh, traveling wise men during Christmas. So when we put Jesus in the manger, we also get our wise men and put them out, but we put them on the other end of the mantle facing the other direction. And then for all of the days before Epiphany, they travel around the house at night uh, because they're following the star. So that makes sense. <laughs> um, and then the kids can look for them and find them in the morning. They don't you know, get into a lot of trouble like the, like I hear the elf does, but, uh, <laughs> but the kids can find them in a different place. And the nice thing, uh, one nice thing for a mom is that if it so happens that the wise men did not move overnight, then it just means that a camel was sick or there was a sandstorm or something, but not to worry because they always make it somehow. They always make it. <laughs> but yeah, so Christmas songs, you know, Christmas carols, actual Christmas carols and making a point of singing them together. Um, 
and the wise men moving around and the tree is new for us and the house smells like Christmas. And um, it really, it, it's just a complete shift, right? From the, from the way that, that the secular world does it, but it's a shift towards the way that Christmas was traditionally celebrated in, in Christian countries. Yeah, I'm really noticing that virtually everything you've described costs us nothing or virtually nothing and is so rich. Children's imaginations are so amazing. I love the camel getting sick. And then if you say you missed a couple of days because they had a layover for a sandstorm, they could always take a shortcut, right? If they have to get there on the right day, they're resourceful wise men. And, and <laughs> yeah, and the other thing too, as I noticed from your, your compendium, the Catholic All Year Compendium, is that you go from an Advent wreath to something different visually as well, which I thought was just so elegant. Yeah, it's really fun. So again, we have a homemade Advent wreath. Uh, we and and I just I really like I really like nature based decorations that you toss and you make again the next year. And I learned that from old books, um, from you know the way that that uh, that the decorations were traditionally uh, done by, by families who didn't have a, you know, a Walmart or a Costco to go to. So I, I just really like that. And it's great for last minute people like me too, because all you need is your scissors and uh, some trees in your backyard or maybe at the park. <laughs> um, so we, we uh, get just, we get jar candles that I put on a platter and I surround them with branches and pine cones and seeds and berries that I can find and I spray them with water every couple of days. As I remember, as they start drying out, I just co-cut some more and stick them in. And then at the end of Advent, uh, I take the Advent candles out and we put a big white candle in the middle and that's the Christ candle. And that's, uh, that's something that is, that is traditional for Advent rates, but that I had never heard of growing up, that you replace the Advent candles with a white candle for the middle, and then you keep using it as a table decoration all throughout Christmas. That's fabulous. I just love that so much. And I can also think there's every different family with its cultural backgrounds and its physical environments will make little adaptations so that even if they listened to every word you did and did it exactly, every single home would look different. Absolutely. That's so sweet. Um, so step us into what else is happening during the octave. You're celebrating Christmas, but what other opportunities are there for celebrating? Yeah, you know, it's something that I know Catholics sometimes worry about with regards to Christmas is Santa and this fixation that kids can have on Santa. And I always tell people, well, if you celebrate saints all year round, and if, you know, if you have treats and traditions associated with them, then it's hard to get super fixated on Santa because, you know, you celebrate all sorts of saints, all sorts of saints days. And Santa isn't the only, you know, St. Nicholas isn't the only saint your kids know. So <laughs> in keeping with that, you know, we, uh, we do a special feast day for, for St. Nicholas in, in December, but, uh, but he also, you know, he brings our present, our kids presents on Christmas. But then that, that week, that octave of Christmas has some really beautiful saints they're called the Comptes Christe is the way that they refer to the saints of the, uh, of the octave of Christmas, um, which is the like close to Christ 
because uh, um, which I, I think that is just such a beautiful thing. So if you aren't in the habit of celebrating feast days in your home and want something to make that octave feel special, you know, these are the saints that are close to Christ. Um, and so there's really fun traditions that are associated with them. So the, the very first uh, the the saint on the on the day right after Christmas is Saint Stephen Saint Stephen's Day, which is sometimes also called Boxing Day. But Saint Stephen, we know from the Bible, was the first martyr, and so I think it it's really interesting to think that uh, that the the church holds up this this very first martyr um, right next to the incarnation, just sort of as a reminder of what you know Jesus came to die for us. And St. Stephen, you know, who was bearing witness to, to Christ also died, you know, and, and set that example, um, as a martyr for us. And, and this is something that, uh, I guess, you know, if we go through all these feast days, we'll also come to the feast of the Holy Innocence, which is celebrated on December 28th. And that's another one that people think, yikes, should I talk to my kids about this? It's important to think about that, you know, these Bible stories, we want our kids to know, the church has always wanted our kids to know. And um, if you're looking at it from a secular perspective only, then it's just nothing but a tragedy that that these babies were, were killed when Herod was looking to kill uh, the baby Jesus. And so he just had all babies under the age of two uh, in, in the area killed. Now, that's a really, really sad story, but St. Augustine points out to us what an amazing honor it would be to be mistaken for Christ. And that's the honor that, that these babies have is to be mistaken for Christ. And we should all live in such a way that uh, someone would think, oh, you must be Jesus. <laughs> so the wow. thing I wanted to do to him, I'm going to do to you. Uh, but, but we want our kids to know for St. Stephen and for the Holy Innocence that, that that's not the end of the story. We know that they have a happy ending that what Herod wanted was, uh, you know, was nothing but tragic, but what came of it was, was good because we believe that these babies who were mistaken for Christ, who were killed in his place. And in the same way that St. Stephen was killed for giving witness to, to, Christ, that we believe that they are in heaven. And that's the goal of all parents is to get our children to heaven. So as tragic as it would be for these mothers and um, what that there's that, uh, that uh, the Coventry Carol is a is a Christmas song that that is actually about this tragedy. And now that I know that I get a little misty eyed listening to it, because it's so it's such a sad song. But we remember that even sad things can be used by God for good. And, and so again, it's, that's what liturgical living in the home is about is having these conversations around the dinner table so that we learn and our kids learn. And there are actually some really funny, really old traditions associated with the Holy Innocence. It used, it it was kind of the um, April fool's day of uh, of the Catholic liturgical calendar in Europe um, because they figure that Herod meant to do something bad and actually did something good. So he got tricked 
And so the it's sort of the day that they would pray, play pranks on each other. Um, children were put in charge of the household uh, on that day. And so I we, you know, within limits, let our kids <laughs> uh, make choices for, for the day. We um, and uh, and we serve a sort of modified baby food. So either I'll do something like shrimp and grits or something that seems a little baby foodish, or we'll just do something funny, like, you know, stuff that the that babies in our family like, like chicken nuggets and applesauce. And we all have to eat that for dinner. <laughs> That's so much fun. And there's a beautiful quote. I don't have the whole thing in front of me, but in your book, and maybe this was from Augustine, but that he gave crowns, meaning sainthood to the babies that Herod gave them crowns and gave saints to the church. That's that beautiful trick that happened on Herod that then re- then you the children end up playing out in their role reversal games. That's just so, it's so delightful. It's, uh, there's so much about our faith that seems contradictory or uh, paradoxical, isn't it? That we bring joy, that Christ brought us the ultimate joy by dying and suffering for us, and that the death of these children can actually bring a festive quality to our celebration. Yeah, absolutely. It is It is the beautiful contradiction of our faith. Just gorgeous. All right. How, where would you like to take us next? Because there's so much in your book between now and Epiphany. This, this particular year, we have the Feast of the Holy Family is on December 27th. And that's also the Feast of St. John. So St. John the Apostle, the beloved disciple. So the Feast of St. John, there, is, there won't be a Mass for that this year. But that doesn't mean that we can't still celebrate it in the home alongside um, the the Feast of the Holy Family. And those two feasts actually go together very nicely because we know that St. John is the one who took Mary into his home. So he certainly, you know, he's almost, he's as close as you can get to to being part of the Holy Family um, (laughs) and not actually be. But there are, there's a really great tradition um, associated with the Feast of St. John. Well, there are multiple ones, but first is that he's the patron saint of priests. So it's traditionally a day to pray for priests, to, um, you know, bring a gift to, to your parish priest. We try to, um, to sometime during that week after Christmas, because, you know, you know, there's so much that, uh, that especially in a, in a normal year that, you know, there's so many um, activities and things at the parish that you got to figure the priests are pretty wiped out. And so we try to bring them a little gift basket or, or something on the Feast of St. John to say thank you. Be on a Sunday. So I guess one less trip to make. But, but the, uh, the tradition is to drink the love of St. John. And so you, you would bring wine uh, to, uh, to the church and ask the priest to bless it for you. And then you bring it home and, uh, and you share now, usually it would be from, from one cup, but you can also do multiple cups and everybody just take their own. But the tradition is that you take a sip that you offer it to the person next to you. And you say, um, I drink to you the love of St. John and, um, and you take a sip and then you hand them the cup. And then they say, I thank you for the love of St. John. And they drink. And then they offer it to the person next to them and say, I drink to you the love of St. John. And you just go all the way around the table. Like I said, you can do uh, individual cups uh, if, if you don't want to share cups. 
but it's it's just such a neat tradition and it's a really old tradition it's you know a thousand years old uh at least uh tradition of of drinking the the love of saint john and the reason that we drink the love of saint john is that an emperor attempted to poison him by putting poison in his cup uh in his uh, cup of wine and it didn't kill him so uh <laughs> that's why if you look at uh, at paintings of saint john you'll often see him with a cup of wine that has a cute tiny little dragon like <laughs> curled up on the side of the cup or sometimes it's hidden somewhere in the in the painting that's the fun thing about getting to know these lives of the saints it makes going to art museums more fun but yeah so look for a tiny dragon around to St. John. Drinking blessed wine uh, in, uh, you know, in, as, as a hope uh, for health and, uh, you know, in a, in a prosperous sort of new year tradition. And just remembering the way that, that, you know, John was so devoted to Jesus and was such a good friend of his and ate with him. And so it's a great thing to remember during that festive family time of the Christmas octave. And I love that, like, the more I learn about the liturgical year, and I don't know it as well as you do, because you really understand all the background, the origins, the history, why, you know, all the symbolism as you were just describing. But Catholics really can, if we just live as Catholics, and just enjoy it, can have way more fun than everybody else. I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> no, it, it is absolutely true. And I, you know, I, I, I tell my kids and anybody who will listen to me that my goal is to make Catholicism weird again. <laughs> because I really think that we have lost a lot in these concessions that we have made to ecumenicalism and the idea of being in dialogue with people of, of other faiths and our Protestant brothers and sisters, I am all for, but the you know, whittling away at traditions because other people think they're just a little bit too weird. <laughs> I say no to that. <laughs> um, and, and that these, these traditions are fun and they're funny and they're memorable and they are useful. They are a really useful in catechism. And, I, and again, like I always say, I'm, I'm always harping on that Catholic identity that if we want our kids to stay Catholic, it has to means something. It has to be different than not being Catholic. So, you know, having these traditions, having these things that come back around every, again, every year with the, with the liturgical calendar that creates that Catholic identity. That's just one more thing that you'd be walking away from if you walked away from the Catholic church. It's like, I'm thinking of St. John Paul II. Someone just shared a quote with me uh, from a biography of his life where it basically describes him as having fought through culture against the things that chipped away at the church through holding up a Catholic culture. And I feel like, too, when we say, when we're having fun and we're laughing and it's a little silly and the, and the little kids are getting their sip of wine, which is woo, a little kind of exciting, <laughs> they're also invoking the name of a very great saint in the home. And one after another, they do it. They ritually do it. And I have to think that in the spiritual realm, that that is powerful, that that is something when it's happening in your home, that draws down incredible graces. Yeah, I think absolutely. And this, this idea of, uh, of the, you know, the actual 
efficacy of prayer and actually having these saints in heaven interceding for our family and our church and our world. And then also the inspiration that, that they are for the individual members of our family is like, it cannot be overstated how important that is that I think it's easy to think, Oh, you know, saints are, you know, quiet nuns in a convent or, you know, saints are all in one particular way. And as you get to know these different saints through the liturgical year, they're all so different from one another, you know, and, and just, you know, to look at the way that St. John, you know, versus St. Peter versus St. Paul, that whatever your temperament, you know, there are saints who were like you, there were saints who had your particular struggles and deficiencies and you and triumphed over them and people who saints who had your gifts and used them to make the people around them and their world a better place. So it's, you know, it, it gives us, I think they just, they're through their lives and their similarities and differences. You just see, there's no one way to get to heaven. There's no one way to be a saint. And, and it is, something that we are each called to in our own particular way. And the liturgical calendar is the way to learn that. It really is. Yeah, I've often called it a treasure map because I feel like we go round and round and round it with our kids as they develop and as we develop spiritually. And so we experience sort of unearthing that treasure at each stop along the way a little differently. It also has occurred to me so many times, and, and as you're talking about how important this all is, that that we are kind of walking with the saints. We're by by acknowledging them, learning a little something about them, we befriend them. And just as when we pray for the holy souls in purgatory, they then are enabled to pray for us, as the catechism says, and they become spiritual allies. These beautiful friendships. We're really teaching our children a lot about friendships too. And one just last piece I'd like to add on is that Many people outside the church and even within the church misunderstand saints to be plaster statues that, like, as you were just pointing out, that they didn't have an incredible variety of temperaments and personalities, but they did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I always, you know, as you say, going around and around again with the liturgical calendar is so important, right? Because we're all in whatever season of life we happen to be in and an illness or you know, pregnancy or new baby or new job or moving and things get skipped or things get, you know, done at a bare minimum in one year. And then, but maybe the next year we can come back around and do it in more depth. And, and it just, it's always there for us to come back to. And the liturgical year really gives us that framework. It gives us a reminder to pray for particular intentions and and to learn about and, and ask the intercession of particular saints. And, it, you know, it's, it's not that I should just generally be more religious, which that's a really hard concept for me, but it tells me I could do this particular thing on this particular day. I could pray this prayer on this particular day or during this month. And that to me is the sort of the kick in the pants that, that I need to actually get it done. Yeah. Neat. So with the time that we have left, take us out with what is epiphany like in your home? What are some of the fun opportunities? 
Yes. So epiphany is really great. Epiphany is really fun. Um, I think that the most important thing that we do, well, first off, the wise men arrive at the nativity after their <laughs> fun journey. Um, but the uh, it is traditional to uh, to bless houses. The, the house blessing is the traditional thing to do for epiphany. So you know, you, in, if you've never had your house blessed, you should invite a priest over to bless your house. If you have gotten your house blessed, then you can do sort of an upkeep epiphany house blessing. I have a printable version uh, of, it, of, of this and many other prayers and blessings and, um, and things on my blog. And this year I also have it in Spanish because somebody <laughs> translated it for me. So it's available in English or Spanish as a printable booklet. And you bless your house. It's a really beautiful reminder because you write. I don't know if you've uh, you've probably seen the you know the writing on um, on a lintel or doorpost. And then until it washes away, you you see it uh, as you're entering your house. And ours is sort of over an eave uh, under an eave, so it, uh, it it does last. And so you see that uh, that blessing on your home. And then oh, sometimes we like to have a 12th night party, invite people over, have them bring gifts. It's a fun time to do a white elephant party, bring funny gifts, because really, I mean, are the gifts that the wise men brought gifts that you would want? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a fun time to do a white elephant party, a funny gift exchange. Um, and uh, I don't know if I talk about this in my book, the, the thing that we've been doing for food recently for the wise men is various international parcel type foods. So like empanadas and uh, ravioli and, you know, sushi or some, anything that's wrapped up in little like fun from all different countries since the wise men were from different parts of the world. Mm. That's fun. And easy because then I don't make all of those by hand. I just go get them from the freezer section of the grocery store. <laughs> um, but yeah, super fun. And, uh, but the, the house blessing, I think is especially in this year. So, so important. We're spending a lot of time in our homes. We're spending time with our families and we want that, that focus on the domestic church is really important. And I think that this, there's been this renewed interest in liturgical living in the home over the past five, 10 years, there really has been this resurgence and it is my firm belief that, that that is not an accident, that that was providential, that God was giving us uh, this, uh, this, you know, interest in our hearts in order to have recourse to our domestic churches and liturgical living in the home as so much of our community uh, faith aspects has been, um, you know, th- those opportunities have been lessened for a lot of people this year. So we should have our houses blessed. Yeah, God always does an end run around what look like closing doors. You know, it's, it makes me think of um, Maria in The Sound of Music. Whenever God closes a door somewhere, he opens a window. And, and I feel like we've now got people sheltering place in place with grandparents they didn't even normally live with. We have husbands and wives both working from home and spending more time with their children. A lot of people now new to homeschooling know what I'm talking about because some of their children for the first time are thriving because they're getting so much parental attention around schoolwork and things like that. And so God has taken this apparent closed door in society, which of course isn't healthy overall, but has made so much good come from it, has brought families together. And as you said, 
especially those who had an awareness of the liturgical year and their own family traditions, are now able to have that bandwidth to really delve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I couldn't agree more. It's it, it, in some way, you know, I feel like I'm uh, in a dystopian future novel or something where like I have been preparing for this year for the past <laughs> 20 years. Like this is it. Um, <laughs> yes, I can tell you how to do this. <laughs> but I mean, it just, it has been, especially over, um, you know, Holy Week and Easter to, and, you know, and now through Advent to have these family traditions that, that we've, we've been able to have recourse to that we've had for so long, but so many people are telling me, you know, it's the first time we've actually had time to do these things. It's the first time we've been sitting around the dinner table together and we can actually do a Jesse tree. We can actually you know, do a, a, a novena together as a family because we're, we're not all running in six different directions at all times. So they're always looking for that, that, that silver lining. And, and I think that really is one. Any final thoughts for people who maybe are thinking about buying the Catholic All-Year Compendium, might feel a little bit overwhelmed right now, but they're really intrigued by what they're hearing. Yeah, absolutely. I always, I, I always tell people that when I get going on liturgical living in the home, it seems, it seems really, really overwhelming. And that's because I am a noted overdoer of everything. <laughs> you don't have to overdo things. You can do liturgical living in the home in exactly the way that works for your family. And you know, it, for us, it's really a dinner table based system because we have dinner as a family together every night. That's real, you know, focus of our family culture. But if, you know, if you're out and about, you can do, you, you can do outings that are associated with different feast days. You can, you know, go to the zoo on the feast of St. Francis because of his love for animals. You can, your, your liturgical living in the home could be craft and coloring page based, which mine is not because we don't do a lot of that stuff, but you can have it uh, be a big part of your homeschool day, or you can have it be part of your family meals like we do. There's just an infinite number of ways that you can just incorporate these things in baby steps into your, into your home and into your family life. And for me, it's really the way that I have learned pretty much everything I know about about our faith, about doctrine and saints' lives and the history of the church. So uh, I just, you know, don't get me started on it. I always tell people, <laughs> but uh, but they do anyway. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but really, you can do it in a way that works for you. And any small way that you're able to start incorporating these traditions is going to, you know, leave you and your family with a richer understanding of, of the traditions and the truths of our faith. God meets us in every little effort to draw our families closer to him. I'm so grateful. And yeah, beautiful. Hold that up again. We are looking at the cover for the Catholic All Year Compendium. For those of you watching on YouTube, if you're listening at Podbean or somewhere else, it's a beautiful book. Our show notes include the link to the book, the link to your blog. 
Kendra, and we'll leave some social media links and other things so that you can follow Kendra as she, thank God, overdoes everything so that we don't have to, and that we can really kind of pick and choose what works well for our families and adapt it in the way that suits us. It's just so beautiful. Can't thank you enough, Kendra. Thanks so much. Wow. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Yeah, for me too. All right, everybody. Thank you for being with us. We appreciate your taking the time to listen and be with us. God bless you. And hang on just another minute or two for our short feature coming right up. Hi, I'm AJ Catapan. Welcome to Books and Blessings, a place where I get to share with you some of my favorite books for Catholic teens and tweens. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Life-Changing Love, a young adult novel by Catholic author Teresa Linden. In Life-Changing Love, there are several love stories going on. However, the main character is Caitlin, who is about to turn 15 and is being introduced to the idea of old-fashioned courtship. There's no dating without parental involvement, and things must be taken slowly. Caitlin would like to try out this new way of getting to know someone with her crush, Roland West. But Caitlin's not the only girl with her eye on Roland. Another girl's interested too, and her parents aren't holding her to any courtship rules. How can Caitlin compete? To complicate matters, another girl she knows is pregnant, and the boyfriend's pushing for an abortion. Caitlin wants to convince this girl not to have an abortion, but that proves challenging. Then Caitlin learns something about her own parents and their dating mistakes that makes her question everything she's learned. Should she even follow her parents' guidelines about courtship? Author Teresa Linden is one of my fellow Catholic Writers Guild members, so she does a nice job of weaving theology of the body into her story. This book has a strong pro-life message and would be a great way to talk about difficult dating and sex topics with your teenager. Teresa keeps the story engaging and realistic. This is not a saccharine love story, nor are all the characters goody two-shoes. Life-Changing Love is the second novel in Teresa Linden's West Brothers series, but you do not have to read the first one in order to read this one. That being said, if your teen enjoys Life-Changing Love, he or she may also want to look at the other books in Teresa Linden's West Brothers series. To see more book suggestions, visit my website at ajcatapan.com. There you can also learn about my own books for young readers, including my YA novel, Angelhood, and my middle grade novel, Seven Riddles to Nowhere. Thanks for joining me on Books and Blessings. Be sure to find me online on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on my website, ajcatapan.com. Until next time, happy reading. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast. <laughs>